0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill,
1: please visit cityonahill.com.au. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by deride him, wagging their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma shamatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielding up his spirit. And behold, the curtain was torn in two from top, to bottom, and the whole earth shook, and rocks were split, and the tombs were opened. And many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God.
0: Well, this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning uh, to those joining us in the room, to those joining us online. Welcome to Good Friday Church. Particular welcome to you today if you are visiting. Perhaps this is your first time. Perhaps you're from out of town. Uh, we are glad that you are here. My name is Dave. It is my honor to serve as the lead pastor of this church. And look, whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or whether you're brand new to the things of Jesus and Christianity. We are glad that every single person is here with us. It is a good and important day to be together. Good Friday. Uh, We are indeed going to reflect upon his story, the story of Christ, and consider the impact of his story upon our story. Now, before we consider God's word together, I'm going to pray a traditional prayer that millions of Christians pray Uh, Every year on Good Friday, uh, why don't you pray with me? Almighty Father, look graciously upon this, your family, for which our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given up into the hands of wicked men and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Speak to us now, Lord, through your holy word. And all of God's people said, Amen. For as much as it hath pleased Almighty God of His great mercy to take unto Himself the soul of our dear brother, sister, here departed, we therefore commit His, her body to the ground. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. These words come from the Book of Common Prayer in the Committal as part of the burial of the dead. And they reflect the finality of death. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Earth, ashes, and dust. This picture of death comes from the Bible. In Job chapter 30 verse 19, Job says, God has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. The teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 20 says, all go to one place, all are from the dust and to dust all return." I still remember the first time I heard earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It was my grandfather's funeral. I was only 10 years of age and I struggled to comprehend the finality of death. I hated that my poppy was gone. I hated death. I hated cancer. I wanted to rage against death. But those words rang out, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Poppy was gone. No more watching the footy. No more backyard cricket. No more cutters. You know, funerals are not supposed to be fun. Death is not natural. It's our enemy. In modern Western culture, we try and gloss over the harsh reality of death. We don't even call it death it's passing on you know, perhaps you've heard a request like this one before, you know, dress up in bright colors for the funeral. Auntie Lisa wouldn't want you to be sad. And yet, we should be sad. We should grieve when confronted with death and the finality of a funeral. You see, as we gather, as we gather together today, We ought to gather with grief. Grief over our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Grief over the death of an innocent man, the best man. Grief as we are confronted with the reality of death. Here at City on a Hill, week by week, we celebrate the work of Christ. Week by week, you will hear us boldly proclaim Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. You know, maybe you're new with us today and perhaps this is a new message to you or perhaps you've heard this message many, many times. Uh, If you are new, we're glad that you're here and uh, I guess for all of us, whether we regularly reflect upon the death and resurrection of Jesus or whether this is a less frequent and even a new idea... And before we can celebrate, because there is something to celebrate in the death of Jesus, it is right that we enter into the grief of this day. If you have a Bible, uh, keep it out, keep it open, and turn with me to John's Gospel, to John chapter 19. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to gift you with one, so please see our team after the service. Uh, We'd love to put a Bible in your hands and encourage you to read it. But the Gospel of John... Uh, is written by one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest disciples, John the Apostle. And John the Apostle, in the Gospel according to John, teaches us that Jesus, though he is fully man, he is more than a man. He is fully God. He is the great God-man. You know, John describes the birth of Jesus as the Word of God becoming flesh. Isn't that a remarkable thing, that the Creator God would enter into his creation by taking on flesh and becoming a human. You see, as we meet Jesus, we meet one who entered into our human experience. He was tired, he was sad, he was hungry. He experienced the joys and the sorrows of life. And yet as we follow his story, he consistently shows the depth of his character. Though he is like us in every way, he is the only one of whom it can be said he was without sin. You know, after spending three relatively intense years living, eating, teaching, laughing and crying with a group of 12 men, 12 close disciples, by the time we get to John chapter 18, Judas has betrayed Jesus Peter has denied Jesus and it seems that the rest of the disciples are nowhere to be seen in Jesus' hour of need. It is grievous that Jesus was betrayed, denied, falsely accused, beaten and then unjustly sentenced to death. Let's pick up the story from John chapter 19 beginning at verse... 23, John chapter 19, beginning at verse 23, it says this, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. Then John says, this was to fulfil the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. So, the soldiers did these things. You know, crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of the low, a barbaric, bloody and cruel form of death. And the soldiers only add to the humiliation of this event. They gamble for his clothing. This is a moment of great mockery, of great ridicule. And it is right that as we reflect upon these events as they unfold, as we read them in the Gospel of John, that we, we reflect with sobriety on the horror of that day. It is a moment of grief. It is a moment of dust and ashes. You know, ashes were a symbol in the Bible of grief. A person who was in mourning would mark themselves with ashes. The cross of Jesus should certainly be an ashes moment for us all. However, what I want you to notice today is that from the depths of the ashes and the real grief we ought to feel over the cross, I want you to also see glimpses of beauty to be found even in such dark place. There are three moments in this scene as we continue to read uh, and they're all connected to the words that Jesus says. Across the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, there are seven sets of words that uh, are declared by Jesus from the cross and three of them are actually found in this passage as we continue to read in John 19. Uh, As you would have heard this morning, as you may have seen on um, promotional material over the last few weeks, our theme this weekend is His Story, Our Story. These three words from the cross help to make up His story and they are important for us to understand as we understand his story, as we understand what Jesus has accomplished and how even the words of Jesus that he says from the cross get to the heart of why he came. We also will understand our story and how we can be brought into his story and what this story means for us. And so I want to reflect upon um, those three words, Uh, those three words that help to make up his story. Story And in each of these words, we see beauty, even in the darkness of this ashes and death moment. The first words that we see, number one, are the, is the word of affection. Number one, the word of affection. This beautiful moment of tenderness, this beautiful moment of love, this beautiful moment of affection, even there at the cross of Christ. We get another beautiful insight into the character of Christ, even unto death. Pick it up with me in verse 25, John 19, verse 25, it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, we've got three Marys amongst this group. Uh, Mary, Mary, Mary. Uh, a lot of Marys nearby, but this is, this is, this is beautiful, they haven't de- de- deserted Jesus. They are there in his time of need. Can you imagine the grief that would have overtaken Mary, the mother of Jesus? You know, this isn't some mother of a man who was grown up in gangs, <laughs> a prolific criminal. You know, hey, this is, this is grieving me, son.
1: <laughs> but
0: you're kind of getting what you deserve. That, that's, that's not this situation at all. This is the only mum in the history of the world who can actually say without lying, My boy is perfect. That, that he was without sin, that he had committed no sin. And, you know, <laughs> that itself would, would come with a, 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 um, a, gr- a growing self awareness of how much she, as his mother, is inadequate in his presence. Every single parent here knows that their child is a sinner uh, and every single parent here knows that we, we too are sinners and we too uh, aren't always the best example for our kids and yet you can imagine this for Jesus' mother. Well, she's the sinner, her son is not. Uh, what, 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 a, what a moment even here of grief and of questions. You know, Mary would have known suffering in her life. The nature surrounding Jesus' birth alone brought grief. Most uh, scholars have concluded her husband, Joseph, would have been long dead by now, by the time we get to the cross. And so here she is at the foot of the cross, full of suffering, full of sorrow, full of sadness. But look what happens when Jesus sees her. Look at this word of affection from him. Verse 26, when Jesus saw... His mother, and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, "Woman, behold your son." Then he said to the disciple, "Behold your mother." And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Aren't these beautiful words? This is a beautiful moment. He's making sure his mother will be cared for in his absence. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus knows that he will rise again. Just saying. But he also knows that he will, not long after his resurrection from the dead, will ascend back to his father. And so not only does his mother need a comforter between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, but ongoing care, a family, to care for her as she ages, for once he ascends back to heaven. Now, the Apostle John, he is the one, the disciple whom he loved. We, we read that phrase the whole way through, uh, John's Gospel. And so Jesus actually says the same thing to him. Um, Behold your mother. And, and I love that John is at the cross. Less than a chapter ago, it felt like all of his friends had deserted him. But John is already back by Jesus' side. You know, and it says there in the final part of verse 27, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, why does the disciple know that? Why can the disciple write that? Because the author is the disciple. That's him. Isn't this a beautiful picture of Jesus honoring his earthly mother? What an example of someone who loves all the way to the end. You know, the whole way through these chapters, we keep seeing the loving, caring, kind and affectionate character of Jesus shining through. Jesus Loves his mother. He has great affection for her. Jesus loves his beloved friend. He has great affection for him. And Jesus loves you. He has great affection for us. You know, that is why he's there. That is why he's willingly gone to the cross. That is why he has nails in his hands and his feet. That is why he submits to the pain Of the cross, because of his affection, because he loves and cares for you. His story, the words of his story. Number one, the first one is the word of affection. The second word and the second moment of beauty in the midst of darkness and ashes is, number two, the word of suffering. Number two, the word of of suffering. You know, the next set of words from Jesus point to his suffering and, and it, it might also almost be strange to even use the word beautiful in and around the word suffering and yet when you understand the beauty in this moment, even in this suffering, you'll begin to understand why we call it Good Friday. You see, these beautiful words get to the heart of Jesus' mission, the core of what he came to do. John chapter 19, verse 28, look at it with me. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. This is a cry that shows, again, Jesus' humanity. A man whipped, bleeding, hanging on a cross, dehydrating. Jesus is, again, identifying himself with our humanity. Jesus is human. Jesus is suffering the agony of crucifixion but there's much more going on here than jesus just wanting a drink because he's thirsty and dehydrating it says there that jesus knows that all was now finished and to fulfill the scripture then he says i thirst so dedicated is he to completing his mission he knows the scriptures that he is fulfilling along the way, You see, in these words, we see he's alluding to Psalm 69, verse 21. In Psalm 69, verse 21, King David, speaking of the greater king that's to come, says this, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus knows these scriptures. And so, verse 29, John 19, verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Jesus drank the sour wine. He fulfilled what was said about him. You know, he knows that this must be fulfilled about him. According to Bible scholars, Jesus has fulfilled. Over 300 specific prophecies from the Old Testament. He knows here at the end what needs to be done so that nothing is missed out. You know, earlier in John's Gospel, John has already been speaking about thirsting. Uh, in a well-known story from John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to an outcast, a Samaritan woman, by a water well. She's looking for satisfaction. She's looking for security in husband after husband, relationship after relationship. And yet, look at what Jesus said to her in John chapter 4 verse 13. Everyone who drinks at this of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is good news for her and this is good news for us because we try and find security and satisfaction in all sorts of places. We try to find it in bad things that we know we shouldn't be looking to it for. We also try to find it in good things We try to find lasting satisfaction in places that will only ever bring temporary satisfaction. And yet everyone who drinks the spiritual water that Jesus gives will never thirst again, will have eternal life, will have a security and a satisfaction that will not and cannot disappoint. You see, here's the thing to notice back in John 19. Back in John 19, if in John 4, Jesus offers an end to our spiritual thirsting, look at verse 28 again, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. He became thirsty. He became thirsty to bring an end to our thirst. Now, how does Jesus offer living water and eternal life? He does it by giving up. His life upon the cross. His death, our life. His thirst, our satisfaction. His story, our story. You know, perhaps you join us today and you are looking, you are searching, you are longing for satisfaction. And perhaps in your longing, in your searching for satisfaction, it keeps coming up short. It keeps bringing about disappointment. Well, the good news is that through Jesus' suffering, He brings and he offers each of us that which is truly satisfying. You know that's why we call this suffering uh, sorry, that's why this suffering can be called beautiful. That's why this, this word of suffering is good. That is why uh, Good Friday is Good Friday, because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus spent himself on our behalf, because of his death for our life. You see, this is his mission. This is why he came, to suffer on the cross for you and for me. As part of Jesus' story, we hear three words from Jesus, from the cross. Number one, the word of affection. Number two, the word of suffering. And the third moment of beauty in the midst of ashes, the third word from Jesus as part of his story from the cross is this. Number three, the word of victory. The word of victory. That's the final word of his story that we'll consider today and the final words of Jesus recorded by John in his gospel. Pick it up with me. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, When Jesus had finished the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What could Jesus mean by these words? It is finished. I've had enough. It is finished. I can't go on any longer. It is finished. The pain is just too much. Is this a cry of defeat? Is this a cry of despair, of resignation? Is this a man who has lost his chance to save his own life? No, this is not the sense at all. Now, uh, the root Greek word uh, behind it is finished there in verse 30 is actually used three times in this paragraph. The the word is tetelestai. Uh, We can see it there in verse 28 where it says was now finished. We can see it in verse 28 where it says to fulfill. And we can see it there in verse 30 where it says it is finished. You see, this is no cry of defeat or regret. This is actually a cry of victory. These words remarkably point to Jesus' victory. And this is beautiful. It meant that what the Old Testament anticipated, Jesus was fulfilling. He cries out, it is finished because he knows that his mission is now complete, fulfilled and accomplished. Now, that might sound crazy because execution on a cross doesn't give the appearance of victory. But appearances can be deceptive. You know, this root word, tetelestai, in the ancient world, uh, it was a word that would be written on a bill after an account had been paid. The, it, it, basically, the bill is dealt with. It is, it's finished. The, the price has been paid, a little bit like a rubber stamp, you know, the ones that say, paid. Jesus is paying our bill on our behalf. Uh, One time a few years ago when our family were visiting Melbourne, uh, my wife Rowena uh, went out for dinner with some friends and so I took our three kids uh, by myself to a restaurant that we loved and we'd been to many times before with this delicious big pizza and a big tower of gelato. We used to go there all the time. It was glorious. We'd eat too much. We'd get messy. We'd have a ball. Now, at the end of eating too much and getting gelato everywhere, I went to pay the bill. And the waiter actually said, it's already been paid. I'm like, well, sorry, table, table four over there. No, 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 sir, it's already been paid. But by who? And he just said, I don't know. There was a blonde lady who walked past. She pointed inside at your table and said, she'd like to pay our bill. Now, my wife is a blonde lady and I spoke to her and it wasn't her. She was nowhere near the suburb. She is not the one that bought her our meal. Now... I'm not sure who the person was, but my assumption is she looked in and thought, gee, that single dad is having a hard time with those three kids. (laughs) What can I do to help him? (laughs) Well, I'm not going in there. (laughs) Let me pay from a distance. Regardless of who she was or what motivated her, I did nothing to settle my bill in that restaurant on that night. Someone settled it on my behalf. At the cross, Jesus is settling our bill on our behalf. What is the debt that Jesus is paying? It's ours. It's something we owe. It's far more costly than pizza and gelato. It's something far more serious. Jesus paid the debt he did not owe Because we owed a debt we could not pay. Jesus paid the debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. It is finished, he's paid it. In full. Jesus therefore has victory. Now what is the finished work of Jesus and what does Jesus therefore have victory over when he says these words, it is finished from the cross. Well, briefly, three things that Jesus, in this word of victory, has victory over. First, Jesus has victory over sin. At the cross, Jesus has fully paid the price for our sin. Back in John chapter 1, the Apostle, not the Apostle John, John the Baptist said these words, he said the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is without blemish. Jesus is free of sin. And Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Sin is our enemy. And yet the reality is sin may be our enemy, but sin lives within each of us. And each of us are guilty of sin, of breaking God's rules, of making up our own rules as if we are God. We're all guilty of sin. And yet Jesus, he is not. He is the righteous dying for the unrighteous, the innocent dying for the guilty, the sinless dying for sinners. It is finished? Well, he has paid in full the price for our sin. As far as the east is from the west, he's taken our sin away. He's taken it upon himself. And so he has at the cross victory over sin. And all who trust in him, likewise have victory over sin. Jesus has victory over sin. Second, Jesus has victory over Satan. Satan uh, is not taken particularly seriously in our part of the world uh, and yet he's real. Yes, there's a danger of making too much of him but there's also a danger in suggesting that there are no forces of evil and darkness in this world and yet scripture teaches us that Satan is real, that he is our enemy. In John chapter twelve uh, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. He begins his journey to his death, but notice what Jesus says about Satan. Have a look at it. In John twelve, verse thirty one it says Now is the ruler of this world Oh sorry, now is the time sorry, now is the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He's talking about Satan. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In a passage that is all about Jesus going to the cross, we see that one of the things that the cross will achieve is the defeat of Satan. You know, the signs throughout the Gospels, Jesus performs miracles of all sorts of description. And the miracles of Jesus, often we see him driving out demons. That's a little foretaste of the bigger victory that he wins at the cross. You know, Jesus, when he's out in the desert, uh, tempted by Satan for 40 days and not sinning, Again is a foretaste of Jesus victory over Satan. Now listen carefully, Satan will accuse you. He will say you are not worthy. He's right, but he's wrong. He's wrong because Jesus is worthy. And if you belong to Jesus, it is finished. Jesus already has victory over Satan and you already have victory because of his work over our great enemy. Jesus has victory over sin. Jesus has victory over Satan. Third, Jesus has victory over death. Good news of Good Friday is that Jesus defeats death. You know, Jesus, just remember, Jesus willingly went to death. Jesus willingly dies our death. Back in John 10, uh, Jesus has said this, that no one takes it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. See, Jesus is in control. Jesus, Jesus submits himself to the cross. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He laid down his life at the right time when he was ready. You know, back to John 19, verse 30, it said, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's almost like Jesus has got the calculator there. (laughs) He's kind of done all the calculations. Has everything happened that needed to happen? Yeah, it's finished. I'm ready to say the words, it is finished. Paid in full. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. Remember, Pilate and those that crucified him were shocked how quickly he died in the end. That's because Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus died when Jesus was ready to die, having already dealt with sin, with Satan and with death. It is finished at the cross. You know, Jesus didn't need to go to hell between Friday and Sunday because he's already taken the penalty of hell at the cross. He's already defeated death. That's why he says, it is finished. You know, on Resurrection Sunday, we see this to be true. What he had already achieved at the cross spiritually is seen physically in his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Look at these stunning words regarding his victory from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the same that is written... Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have victory over death. Jesus paid the debt he did not owe. Because we owed a debt we could not pay. Now, we've heard today that from the ashes of our sin and the ashes and the dust of Jesus' death, I hope and trust that this morning you've heard three powerful words that are part of Jesus' story. Beautiful words of affection. Jesus loves you. Beautiful words of suffering Jesus died for you and beautiful words of victory Jesus wins for you you know we began with the words from the Book of Common Prayer burial service let me Let me read uh, a a broader section, the second half of that paragraph. I'll read the first half just to remind you of what it said, and then we'll keep reading. Uh, For as much as it hath pleased God, uh, almighty God, of his great mercy to take unto himself the soul of our dear sister, here departed. We therefore commit her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Here's the new bit. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ... Who shall change our vile body that it may be like unto his glorious body, according to the might working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself? You can have a sure and certain hope in the face of death because of the death of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I'm a sucker for. Um, Feel good viral videos, and follow a bunch of feel good viral video accounts on Instagram. And one of my favorite ones is of an old man who was born colorblind, and yet in his old age, he's given some glasses that enable him to see in full color for the first time. Oh, like get the, get the tissues ready. It's this beautiful moment, there's this emotional moment as he, as he is in tears. As he sees colours and as he sees beauty, as he sees things that have have kind of been in grayscale, have been bland, have not been a true representation of the beauty of the colours of those things, he sees it for the first time. You know, the challenge for us today is that as we hear about his story, not the old man, but Jesus' story, may we have ears to hear, but may we have eyes to see through the lens of the cross of Jesus, all of the colour and all of the beauty of Jesus' finished work at that cross. To see everything about what Jesus' story is all about. To see it in all of its beauty and to understand that his story is to impact upon our story. You know, for those of us here today uh, who are trusting in Jesus and perhaps you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I hope that as you've gathered on Good Friday, uh, as you've heard truths that you've heard before and believed before, I hope your heart is stirred. I hope your affections are aroused. I hope you can see the beauty of what Christ has done on your behalf. And I hope you continue to walk in gratitude You know, sometimes in the Christian life, I think we're tempted to think that we need to keep coming up with new things. Uh, We need to be creative. We need to be clever. We need to kind of, we need something new to entertain us. But Christianity is not about new things at all. Christianity is going back to the old thing again and again and again, keeping that message of the gospel on repeat in our lives, not just on Good Friday and Easter Sunday but actually remembering each day what Christ has done for us and how his story has become our story as we've put our trust in him. And so, brothers and sisters, may your trust be all the more firmly in our Saviour this day. But look, it might well be that today you find yourself and you're not a follower of Jesus. Again, you might be really new to investigating Jesus or you've been around this stuff for a long time and it's never really become yours You've never really put your trust in Jesus. I would urge you that if you've seen something of what Christ has done today, to consider what would it look like today to put your trust in Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to put your trust in Jesus right now. Uh, We're going to pray a simple prayer. uh, A a simple prayer that has three simple words of faith. Sorry, thanks, and please. Uh, Sorry is, God, I'm sorry for my sin and my rebellion. I'm sorry that I've rejected you. Thanks is all about thanks for Jesus. Uh, thank you that he came. Thank you that he laid down his life. Thank you that he dealt with my sin. Thank you that he rose from the dead. Thank you that he offers me a new life. Thank you that I can become a child of God through him. And please is a, a request. Please, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? And would you to help help me to live a changed life, trusting in Jesus? You see, a sorry thanks, please prayer is a great first step in becoming a Christian. But those of you who have been around for a while, you would have heard me say this before. I think a sorry, thanks, please prayer is an excellent prayer that every Christian could begin and end every day with. Not that, oh, I've fallen out of Christ overnight and I need to become a Christian again each morning or, whoops, I'm no longer a Christian at night, I should pray that prayer again. No, no, no. You've never fallen out of Christ, but just as a pattern, as a shape of how to continue to come to God in humility, saying sorry, saying thanks and saying please. Look, if you don't yet have your trust in Jesus... Um, what is stopping you from putting your trust in Jesus today? You're trying to write your own story, you're trying to make up your own future, but the story Jesus has is better than the story you're writing and letting his story become your story is a good thing. What could possibly stop you from putting your trust in him today? Look, it might even be that, uh, you know, maybe you describe yourself, you know, and identify as a Christian or, or maybe you kind of loosely do... And Christianity has been part of your heritage, but you know that it really doesn't impact every part of your life. And it might even be today that you're encouraged and urged to consider what does it look like to have Jesus at the centre of my life? What does it look like to come back to Christ? What does it look like to really take hold of his story and let his story be lived out in your story? Look, I want to urge you today, whether you want to become a Christian for the first time or whether you need to come back to the Lord, do it today. You know, Perhaps you've still got questions, that's okay, so do I. But you've heard enough, you've understood enough, you're ready to believe in Jesus. Respond to the call of Jesus today. Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, Jesus has turned aside your judgment and taken it upon himself. So believe in him, entrust yourself to him. I'm going to pray this sorry, thanks please prayer Uh, and I'm going to invite you to pray along out loud. I'll leave a little gap after each phrase. Uh, If you're going to pray this prayer for the very first time, um, there's going to be a whole bunch of other people around you also praying this prayer uh, who are Christians already. You're not a Christian. You're not praying this to become a Christian. You're praying this because it's a good prayer uh, and a good shape of a prayer to pray. But repeat out loud after me, uh, whether you're a Christian or want to become a Christian. uh, Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's pray together. Dear God, I am sorry for my sin, I am sorry for rejecting you. I don't deserve your love. Thanks for sending Jesus to die on the cross. In my place and for my sin, so I may be forgiven. Thanks that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me. Help me to love Jesus and live with Jesus as my King. Amen. Hey friends, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, there's really good news. Uh, the Bible even says that even when one sinner turns to God and puts their trust in Jesus... Uh, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven. We'd love to know. Uh, So certainly tell the people that you came to church with today, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time or if you've come back to Christ today, uh, please feel free to come and speak to me. Come and speak to Mike. uh, Speak to one of our team out at the info desk. There'll also be a a digital connect card you can fill out later on as well. We'd love to hear from you uh, because we'd love to help you with the next steps. Uh, We'd love to um, uh, walk with you as you continue to follow after Jesus. Uh, but brothers and sisters, we now have the opportunity to celebrate a family meal, a family meal that was instituted by Christ. It's a visual, it's a visual telling of his story and it's an invitation for his story, again, to become our story, to, to be seated at his table, communion with God and communion with one another. Uh, if you didn't receive uh, juice and bread on your way in, please raise your hand, keep it up Uh, And one of our team will come around uh, and give you a package. But you'd remember that on the night before he died, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, he took the cup and again giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so as we eat this meal, we are reminded of Jesus' story, his body and blood given for us at the cross. But it's right and appropriate that as we come to the table, that we are real with our sin. We've already prayed a a short prayer of confession At the end of the talk, we're going to pray another one uh, and another opportunity out loud corporately um, to come before God uh, in humility. So brothers and sisters, let's pray this prayer of confession together. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. A, the good news is when we pray a prayer of confession like that, we're not left wondering what God thinks. Not only have we heard word after word of gospel assurance, even in our passage from John 19 today, uh, but elsewhere in Scripture, John writes, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. couple of verses later, he says, he, Jesus, is the propitiation. Propitiation is one who turns aside wrath. Jesus is the one who turns aside wrath for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to participate in this meal if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, If you don't normally come to this church, but you're regularly part of a different church and you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to come to the table. Uh, Look for those who aren't followers of Jesus. This meal's not for you. Uh, Just feel free to leave the the package on the chair. um, We can tidy it up afterwards. Uh, But please, um, ask questions. Speak to the people who brought you to church. We'd love to talk to you more about the significance of this symbolic meal. But as we eat, we not only look back to his death, but we look forward in hope to when we will eat with him in the new creation, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, brothers and sisters, let's do this together. Grab the bread and together let's eat this in remembrance that Christ died for us. And let's feed on him in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, let's drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us, and be thankful. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.